Welcome to the Content Strategy Experts podcast, brought to you by Scriptorium. Since 1997, Scriptorium has helped companies manage, structure, organize, and distribute content in an efficient way. In part one of the Content Accounting podcast, we talk about measuring content value based on accounting principles. Hi, I'm Caitlin Heath. And I'm Sarah O'Keefe. And today we're going to look at measuring your company's content value. So I want to start by identifying what type of content we're talking about when we're talking about content value. Well, in my mind, we're talking about customer-facing content, whether it's technical product content, high-value content like technical reports or membership information that you present you know, to your customers, and or marketing, con- marketing and sales content. Mm-hmm. So what type of value does this content generally have for your company? Well, that is the question. That is the question. <laughs> and it's, it actually it turns out to be a really hard question because there have been actually a lot of attempts at this. How do we calculate content value? And you'll see a lot of stuff around, oh, well, we got this many impressions or our tweet got this many retweets or we got this many hits on our website or this many people clicked the, yes, this piece of technical information in my knowledge base was helpful, mm-hmm. right? But value, like what's the value of that content? We have some ideas about metrics. Right, so user feedback type of mm-hmm. type of stuff. Yeah, or sheer volume, the volume right. of people that are looking at something. And so... But does that necessarily translate to value? Right. right. I, you know, we, we don't really know. And so that was, you know, I wrote this white paper talking about the concept of content accounting. And I'm not the first one to kind of touch on this. There have been a couple of other papers out there where people have tried to kind of address content value. But in this specific white paper, what I did was I tried to take accounting itself as a framework for thinking about content. So for those of you that are not accountants, which I suppose is not me, (laughs) perhaps a lot of our listening (laughs) audience, uh, you're probably familiar with the idea of a profit and loss statement and maybe less familiar with the, the concept of a balance sheet. But those are kind of the two basic documents that you see in accounting used to calculate the value of things, the value of a company, the, you know, what the performance of your company, really. So I thought, well, all right, can we do content-based accounting? Can we do accounting that uses a profit and loss, a P&L, and also a balance sheet, but looks at content-related uh, aspects to try and figure out how to value information? Right. So what might that look like? What does this profit and loss sheet look like for content accounting? So, so a P&L for content accounting. Um, if you're somebody like Netflix then it's pretty straightforward, right? Because as Netflix, you know that you have your streaming income mm-hmm. and you know that your subscribers are paying you $8 or $10 or 15 or whatever they've bumped it to these days right. <laughs> for access to your content, right? Because your content is directly your product. Right. So, you know, in a very simplified way, your income is your streaming money or the money people are paying you for your, your content. And if you think about a book publisher or something, same thing. People mm-hmm. pay the money to get their hands on books or movies or other kinds of content. On the L, you know, profit and loss, on the L side, on the expense side, you have the cost of 
creating or perhaps licensing that content? How much does it cost to make a Netflix series? How much does it cost to license a series from an existing TV network? How much does it cost to get an author to write a technical book about computer subjects that you're then selling in the bookstore or on you know, online or whatever. Right. How much does it cost to produce an e-learning course that you then sell people? Mm-hmm. So if you're a publishing company, if you're a content company, then you know that this is all pretty straightforward, right? Because you have your cost of producing content and you have your income from content. Absolutely. So then how does this change when we start talking about yeah. marketing content and technical So content? now <laughs> it gets obnoxious. So you set aside the content companies. Mm-hmm. And you start thinking about, okay, well, I'm a software company and I produce content that is important to my customers, or I make consumer electronics, or I make, you know, anything else in the world that's not directly selling a book or a movie or a piece of content, a piece of intellectual property Mm -hmm. to your customers. What you have now is you have a product like piece of software or a a piece of hard, a roof rack, a car, a whatever. All right, how do you pick which car to buy, right? Mm-hmm. You probably do some research. You say, hey, I like this one. Well, can't afford it. Moving on. Um, but, <laughs> you know, you sort of go through this process of I want a, you know, I want a vehicle that has these features. Right. Or, you know, hey, I could get to my office by moped because it's pretty close, except right. there's a really narrow road, <laughs> so I'd probably die. So maybe not that. Um, But you kind of work through what you need from the product that you're going to buy, and then you go looking for the product that meets those those aspects. And that's where the customer-facing content from the company starts to come in. If you're in the market to buy something, you're looking for information on which product meets my requirements. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is it fuel-efficient enough? Is it electric or not, as the case may be? Uh, does it have enough cargo space for your, you know, your dogs and cats and gerbils and kittens and giraffe or whatever that you have as a pet? Those are the kinds of things that you need to think about. You know, what, what features do you need in that? And the marketing material can be kind of persuasive and aspirational. You know, people like you buy these kinds of cars and, ooh, don't you want to be one of the cool kids that has this kind of a car? <laughs> right. And I'm, you know, I'm oversimplifying marketing. But to a certain extent, marketing is about persuasion and saying, this is the one you want to choose and here's why, you know, features and benefits. Your technical content, though, if I know that I need to haul around a, you know, 150-pound dog, I get very interested in... You might be looking for specifications want, that like are in the technical car. documentation. <laughs> yes. And you so you're looking for how much cargo space right. is there? Is there a roof rack not for the not for the dog? Um, <laughs> we don't do that in this state. Um, but you look for those kinds of things. You know, what are the exact specifications because you might decide, well, I'm not even going to consider this car unless it's like a hybrid. Right. Okay, well, you can rule out a whole pile of stuff based on it not being a hybrid, and maybe you know a little bit more about that, and you're pretty specific about what you want. Uh, You want batteries that are more easily replaceable or have been built in a way that's more, um, you know, ecologically sound. So you can think that's not usually in the marketing content. It's usually not exactly right. So you end up in the technical content. Uh, The research says that. When buying, now this is consumer electronics, not cars, but when buying consumer electronics, something like 80% of people will look at the technical content before they buy. Right. Because they're looking for some little spec that's in there. Okay, so back to your question. 
How do you quantify that? How like, do you quantify that? What is the value of a piece of content that says, this is the cargo space, and these are the specs for the battery that then leads somebody to say, oh, wait, I want that car. Yeah, how can we measure that? How do you measure how that? How do we measure so that? So that was the question I tried to <laughs> tackle with, you know, perhaps varying degrees of success. And what I basically landed on was that you have these five... Uh, aspects of income that content contributes to. And there's a lovely pyramid drawing in the white paper, right? <laughs> which we'll um, link to. <laughs> which we'll link to. Uh, item one, which we haven't actually talked about yet, is compliance. Right. If you produce a product that is regulated, you must comply with the regulations or you mm -hmm. don't get to sell it. If you're doing pharmaceuticals, you have to meet certain standards about drug labeling. If you're selling a car, you have to meet certain standards around uh, safety and, you know, discussing the, the safety equipment that you're required to have in various markets. Mm -hmm. So compliance is one of these things that's very hard to quantify, except that if you don't do it, you can't sell your product. You get zero revenue. <laughs> so in a way, it's it's like that old ad, you know, from the credit card company, you know, it's priceless. Right. <laughs> right. Okay, so that's one. Now, the second one, kind of moving up the pyramid, is cost avoidance. How do you make things cheaper and more efficient? If you look at your compliance content as this like horrific cost of doing business, well, how do I do compliance as efficiently, as inexpensively, as fast as possible? So what are some costs that you might be avoiding? Usually what we're looking at here is efficiency. So don't duplicate and triplicate your content and then have to change it in three places. Right. Don't make dumb mistakes because you copied and pasted out of the database mm -hmm. and you know missed a number. Uh, and then your your numbers are wrong, and now you're in trouble with the FDA or the somebody, mm -hmm. some regulatory body. So cost avoidance usually, and, and the interesting thing is this is where the focus has been for the last 10 or 15 years. Let's automate the formatting. Let's do a lot of reuse. Let's automate our localization as much as we can and create these really efficient workflows Absolutely. that are better mm -hmm. than sort of doing things by hand and that are more scalable. Right. But cost avoidance you have to be really careful because you don't want to cost avoidance yourself out of a job or mm -hmm. a mission, mm -hmm. right? And so there's a bunch of other stuff that you need to look at. So we have compliance and cost avoidance, which are kind of baseline, prereq, foundational, whatever. Mm -hmm. Revenue growth. If your content is really good, people might choose your stuff over the one that they looked at and they're like, I don't know what these people are writing about, but I don't understand it. And I think that's something that isn't often talked about with technical documentation necessarily, yep. about gaining revenue from your technical documentation. If you do a search on a particular feature that you're looking for mm -hmm. and you find it in product A but not mm -hmm. competitor product B, you're right. probably going to buy product A, yeah. which implies that you need to pay attention to SEO and those kinds of things. Right. Um, so revenue growth. Arguably a really great piece of marketing could drive your revenue because people read it or they see the ad or they read the white paper and they say, wow, this product sounds great. I should look into it some more. And then they end up buying it. Mm -hmm. And conversely, really bad marketing, <laughs> you put it out there and you pay to get it out there to everybody and they read it and they're like, I don't think so. Right. So, you know, reach is not everything. Just reaching a lot of people isn't necessarily going to help you with your sales if your message isn't the right message. Sure. So revenue growth. Uh, then we move up to competitive advantage. And this is sort of the idea of 
let's say you have two products that are pretty comparable, but my product has this one extra feature that your product doesn't have. Mm -hmm. uh, you have some other feature. But what I want to do is I want to highlight my product's extra feature and make sure that that is everywhere and everybody knows about this extra special feature because why would you ever buy a product that doesn't have my special feature? Right. And so if you do a really good job with content and a really good job with providing technical information, people might understand more about your product mm -hmm. and be willing to pay. Right. For that cool feature that they didn't know they needed. And that sort of ties in nicely to the apex of the pyramid yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, so the top of it is branding. Right. And you think about companies that have done a really good job with branding, mm -hmm. companies that are known for having really great design, really great you know, industrial design or software design, UX, UI experience, people are willing to pay a premium to get those products. Mm -hmm. Some people are willing to pay a premium to get those products. But your branding helps sell the product, right? It helps you get that sort of halo of, of goodness and people grab your product. Absolutely. So then what type of expenses are we talking about here? So on the expense side, you're looking at the cost of producing the information, mm -hmm. largely. So what does that look like? Uh, you've got some staff that need to produce the information, and you've got systems, uh, you know, whether it's workflow or anything like that, and you've got localization in order to get everything rolled out to your, your markets, wherever those may be. Mm -hmm. So basically, you've got the staff that actually creates, authors, delivers the content. You've got the staff that does things like social media, amplification, distribution, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You've got the uh, software itself that you're using to, you know, kind of produce the thing. Mm -hmm. And then you've got some other, some ancillary things. They tend to be smaller, you know, potentially like overhead facilities, that kind of thing. Right, okay. And then, so, when talking about expenses, how do we compare those expenses to the benefits that you're getting in your content. So, for example, how can we say, you know, this piece of software that we're buying, how is that going to then benefit our content? And how is that going to add to the value of our content? So if you're making an argument to invest in a piece of software, or really anything, you have to prove that we're going to spend X dollars mm -hmm. and we're going to get Y value, and preferably Y value is greater than X dollars. Right. <laughs> right. That's, that's like how you do a business case. Mm -hmm. uh, I know the accountants right now are crying, and I'm really sorry. <laughs> it's not um, me. Yeah, it's not you. But, you know, basically, we're going to invest X, we're going to get Y, where Y is greater than X. Mm -hmm. We can squeeze a lot out of efficiency, and we've done that because it's easy. It's the low-hanging fruit to a certain extent. Right. But you also have to look at things like, well, if I put this information in a better system, in a better set of files in a in a content management system as opposed to just managing a pile of files somewhere on my laptop what does that buy me you know i'm going to be able to produce the content better be more accurate do all these things maybe produce it faster mm -hmm. i can be more consistent with my corporate identity branding i can rebrand when the company rebrands you know weekly yes. monthly whatever <laughs> Uh, or they, you get acquired, it's not your fault, right? <laughs> but you get acquired and then they're like, hey, you have to use our new branding and it's like, oh, rebrand again. Mm -hmm. So those are the kinds of things that you kind of look at. If I invest some time in writing 
a better product description, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I can write a really bad one in five minutes, or I can take two hours and write one that's actually really good, and maybe I've thought a little bit about search engines and keywords and those kinds of things. Well, you know, <laughs> how much more valuable is that two-hour description than the five-minute description? Right, and so I think that goes back to how are we measuring the how benefits? How are we measuring the benefits? <laughs> Right. And so you have to, essentially, you have to be able to prove that somewhere on that pyramid, you're adding value, mm -hmm. whether it's through revenue growth or branding or way down in efficiency, cost avoidance, compliance. Right. Uh, if it's something like writing a better product description, then you're probably focused on revenue growth, right? Because mm -hmm. you're saying, I'm going to write a better description, more people will read it. Sure. sure. And then more people will buy. Mm -hmm. So that pretty much wraps up the profit and loss um, statement, mm -hmm. right? Okay. So we're just about out of time. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew you could talk about P&Ls for this long? Right, but the other important part of this is... The balance sheet. The balance sheet, right. Okay, so we'll talk about that on the next podcast. In part two. <laughs> Come back for more accounting concepts. Lovely. Well, thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Content Strategy Experts podcast, brought to you by Scriptorium. For more information, visit scriptorium.com or check the show notes for relevant links.